0: This episode of When in Romance is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Have you been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Sign up only takes a few minutes. Answer a couple of questions about what you like to read and what you're looking for. Link up to your Goodreads profile if you have one, and you're done. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on their request. Do you love thrillers and want to read more romance? Are you looking for poetry by writers of color and maybe also some space opera? Because who's not? We've got someone who knows just what to choose for you. Each TBR delivery contains three titles in the recommendations-only level or three new hardcovers in the hardcovers level, and you'll receive a new shipment every three months. Give your bibliologist feedback, update your request, stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. The recommendations-only level is $15 a quarter or $49 a year. Hardcovers are $75 a quarter, plus $4.79 in shipping, and annual subscribers receive free shipping. Recommendations only is available worldwide, and hardcovers are available in the United States. Visit mytbr.co slash treatyourshelf to sign up today. That's mytbr.co slash treatyourshelf, S-H-E-L-F. Find it today to visit mytbr.co. TBR.
1: Hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, everyone's favorite place to talk about romance novels and maybe some other stuff, but
0: not like your romantic life because we can't help you with that. Um, I am Jess, and I am Trisha, and Jess is right. We can't help you. It's not that we don't want to. We just don't have the energy. No, no. People are hard. (laughs) Yeah, probably not the expertise either, but for sure this week, not the energy.
1: Yeah, like I don't know anything about grown-up dating at all. Like I met my husband first year of college and like grown-up dating. What's that? I don't get it. Yeah, and I'm
0: happily single, so I don't know. (laughs) But we wish you all the best of luck. All the best of
1: luck. And in the meantime, let's talk about some romance stuff. Not I know, else. and we're
0: really excited. I'm super excited, Jess. It's finally here. It's finally here. We After talking- episodes and episodes of Build Up, we're finally, we're finally at our Butterfly Swords Wedding Romance Book Club discussion.
1: We are. We are. And thank you to those of you who sort of poked, poked at us and sent us things that you wanted to talk about or your own thoughts or any of that kind of thing. And I think we're probably going to continue the discussion online after this posts, right, Trisha?
0: Yes, we are. We uh, mentioned that. Somebody asked. And so um, as I generally do, I will tweet out uh, this episode. Um, my uh, Twitter handle is Trisha underscore Reads. I'm telling you that now. Maybe I won't even bother telling you again. Um, and Jess's is... Jess is reading all the um, so, word. Exactly. So we'll make sure that it goes on there. And then we'll, we'll try to make an effort to um, continue it on Instagram as well. Because uh, somebody specifically mentioned that they are sort of avoiding Twitter these days, which, fair enough. Fair. Um, and so my Instagram is at Trisha Haley Brown. And
1: mine is Jess on underscore is underscore reading.
0: I know we threw you off because we we don't usually do it that early. But we do (laughs) actually. So we'll make sure that we have a thread on both of those places um, within a day or so of this episode going up on October 8th. But another great place to continue the discussion is actually in the discussion of our show notes, and a couple of our uh, wonderful listeners have already started things going in uh, the show notes of our the comments of the show notes of our last episode, number eighteen. Um, I will actually start uh, the the first discussion because someone um, followed up uh, on a different note. Uh, Paige was kind enough to weigh in and agree with Jess. That probably um, the reason that all of the romance books, as I sort of vented about on our last episode, (laughs) that all of the holidays, specifically all of the Christmas books, for some reason come out in September and October. Paige agreed with Jess that it is because everything around us jumps into the holidays very quickly. That all the Halloween stuff is already out. And as she said, it just avalanches from there. Um, yeah. Although Paige is committed to not reading the Christmas stories until the day after Thanksgiving, um, which I have a lot of respect for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, oh, and actually, to be fair, Paige and I got the same result in this vampire soulmate test, which was even though I asked Jess if uh, True Blood or the Southern Vampire series by Charlene Harris was um, an option. In the vampire soulmate test that we talked about last time, Paige and I both got Tara Thornton, so obviously it is.
1: Yes. Uh,
0: but um, Rachel got the same result as you, Jess. She did.
1: Gotta love those Brides of Dracula.
0: Mm hmm. And Rachel, um, in a very smooth transition, so thank you, Rachel, also had some uh, notes about butterfly swords.
1: Yes, she did. And I would love to talk about some of those things because they are definitely things that uh, I noticed as well. Um, One of the things that she mentioned that was sort of jarring immediately upon starting was it kind of starts in media rest like we have our very own romance odyssey here where it's like things are already happening and people are already being fought and someone has already lost a fight and we're just being dropped in the story and I totally figured out after a while that was just how Janie Lynn was going to be writing, right? Like you don't know anything outside of the perspective of these two people. You don't get any flashbacks. You don't get any background. You're in the story as it's happening and that's it. That's all you get. So any discussion about things that happened before, all you get is what is in their head. So you meet people that it seems like maybe we should know that story. I was telling Trisha, I was digging around looking to see if I had missed a book. Like if Butterfly Swords maybe wasn't actually the first book. And another couple had had a book because they were so rich. Their characters were there and present and full. And it was like, they have, the, like, we should know their story already, right? Like, they, why am I just sort of discovering them as we meet them.
0: <laughs> well, and this is interesting, right? Cause it's a thing that happens in romance fairly frequently is that you'll pick up a book you'll be reading and you will, you know, run into family members or run into another couple mm-hmm. and you'll think to yourself, well, yeah, sure. Cause this is the third book. Mm-hmm. So these are the people who probably from the first book and th- this is the person who's going to get their next book. And, and actually that is a thing. And we're going to come back to that, but, um, it's almost, I, I there's a little part of me that wonders if uh, Jeannie Lynn did that on purpose, almost to kind of, almost like as a little bit of a kind of wink and a nudge mm-hmm. to the genre in a way that, and, and we'll come back to this too, that she sort of subverts some of the themes and, and tropes of romance in a couple of really interesting ways. But I did the same thing as you, Jess. I went online to sort of figure out, you know, what this series was spun off of. And I don't think it's spun off of of anything. Um but should we do a quick summary of what this book is and where it starts for anybody who wants to follow along but did not uh, read this book? <laughs> sure. I took uh, I took a couple of quick notes. So I think the the main thing that you need to know is that Eile um, is the daughter of the emperor. Uh, the emperor has only been the emperor for a fairly short period of time. Um, you kind of figure out the details of that, but that's all you need to know if you want to follow along with this discussion. So uh, she was not raised that way, but she is the daughter of the emperor, and then she was betrothed to Li Tao, uh, and she's sent off to be married to him. Her family sends her off. They say, go get married to Li Tao. On the way, um, Li finds out that uh, Li Tao probably killed her brother and seems likely to be plotting against her father. So as any one of us uh, probably would, she gets very... Hesitant about the marriage, uh, works with some of the folks that um, are loyal to her father and plots to get away. And in the first scene of the book, she's kind of um, a part of this sort of uh, staged kind of um, plot to get away from this marriage. It's almost kind of a staged kidnapping. So she's getting away, but you know, through a stage kidnappings don't always work out the way you think they're going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she ends up alone, except she's not quite alone because she runs into this, um, ghost man slash barbarian slash, uh, essentially white guy. Um, <laughs> who, uh, Riam is his name. And, uh, he, as it turns out, is the hero of the book. He's uh, sort of a wanderer. he, in a interesting juxtaposition um, to Ailee has no family. She's very much loyal to her family in a lot of ways. And he really doesn't have a family. His mother had died a long time ago and his father um, has died more recently, but he's sort of been wandering and fighting and um, part of a band of barbarians for a while and um, had, as Jess mentioned, somebody has already lost a battle. Uh, Riam is one of those people that has lost a battle and is, sort of trying to find his people again, but is sort of also embarrassed by the loss of the battle and is just kind of directionless. And so he is trying to help Eile figure out where to go. She's not really sure where to go. She thinks she needs to go home. But, you know, it ends up being a, a journey for the two of them. And so that is that is where we are as the book kind of starts to, to roll along its merry way. Mm. Yes. Right. And I think, you know, as I mentioned, Jess, I, f- I thought that one of the things that Jeannie landed did that was really interesting was subverting some of the tropes and norms in really interesting ways. Um, and one of the ones that I thought was really interesting that we teased oh. out a little bit a couple of weeks ago was what is conventional versus what is progressive. Because in a lot of ways, Ailee is uh, super loyal to her family mm-hmm. in ways that I just kept thinking, like, what are you doing? Oh, my God. Like, you have to stop. Like, I get it. But also, you do not have to do this. Like, these people are not as loyal to you. Just let them go. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the, the, the book is called Butterfly Swords because she is a master of these swords. And the part of the reason that she is is that, you know, her five brothers were all trained to use these swords. And so she wanted to learn also. Her grandmother is also a master of these swords. And, and so there's just when you kind of think, oh, you know, she's very traditional and conventional in a lot of the ways that she was raised. And, and certainly, I mean, the book takes place centuries ago, it's in the Tang dynasty, but there are these sort of moments of progressiveness for her as a character, Mm -hmm. which makes you think that, um, that loyalty is based in something other than just convention.
1: Right. And, you know, she, she starts out on this whole journey of um, her betrothal and is very, very much in the conventional style. Like, my parents would have wouldn't have chosen him if they thought that he was a bad person, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. If they just know that I have these suspicions... Then they too will understand why this can't happen, and it's.
0: Uh, and I think this is a good a good place to probably mention that we are actually going to spoil a couple of things in uh, in this conversation. So if you are if you are thinking that. Um, you do not want this book to be spoiled. You should probably forward ahead, you know, ten minutes or so. Wait until it sounds like we are talking about something else. You know, <laughs> skip ahead on your fifteen or thirty second button. But skip ahead, um, skip
1: ahead.
0: Yeah, this is your time. Pull your your podcatcher out of your pocket and hit that hit that button now. Um, <laughs> because one of the things that we find that really does test that loyalty and that um, you know devotion to family is that we find, in fact, Jess that
1: that you know it's like she goes and tells her she she makes it back home and tells both of her parents that she thinks Li Tao is not a bad not a good person and has actually been involved in the death of her brother and they're like, well I mean we need to be on his side so you're still getting married.
0: yeah they're like yeah we kind of knew and then, Her mother's like, and also your father's probably going to take a second wife in addition, Uh, which, by the way, does not go over well with Eileen. No. Um, And so I think that's a it's an interesting way of um, kind of, again, challenging some of these themes of loyalty and family in an interesting way, because they're already being challenged a little bit by the fact that... um, Riam doesn't relate to them in the same way. He is not as close to his family as she is to hers. And so he already is a little like, I don't know. I'm not really sure that I get this. But then when they get pushed again by the fact that for the first whole first half of the book, she's like, just let me get to my family. I'll explain to them. They'll get it. This will be fine. And then they get there and she does explain and they're like, oh, no, no. Yeah, we know. And then, you know, it's it's devastating. And and that like, so,
1: every, every basically everyone in this book is a warrior of some type, right? Even, even Eile's mother and grandmother have the ability to protect themselves from other people in their own ways, and uh, you know Riam is is a fighter. He's a soldier. He's a leader of soldiers, but he's not quite warlord material like Li Tao is like he is a man who like rots fear (laughs) into an entire region of China right Mm -hmm. so the thought that having this kind of person on your side is a good reason to marry your daughter off to him even if he might have been responsible for the death of another of your children I, I don't know if I would be as loving as the two continue to be even when L- Ailee is angry at her father she's still like so so mildly angry <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I think there's also an element of disappointment. So I think the thing that one of the things that's interesting to me about this book, and I mentioned it a little bit a couple of weeks ago, is that a lot of this book is just the two of them. Mm-hmm. You don't see. Um, it's almost sort of uh, a little bit like the Odyssey in that way, in that it's it's very much a a journey. It's very much. I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. It's a road trip romance in a lot <laughs> of ways. It really is. They are journeying. They run into a supporting character at a time and there aren't that many people that you see more than once but you do see um, so you know about halfway through the book they come to this realization that um, Eileen's family knows what's going on and then they continue to keep moving because they she realizes she can't stay there and she although she's not ready to kind of break away entirely from her family she knows she needs to keep on moving and at least give them some time to I guess change their minds or you know whatever else um, and at the, I guess you know, fast forward, fast forward, keep journeying, etc. And then at the end of the book, this was a. I, I don't. How did you feel about the ending, Jess? I. It took me a little time to kind of understand what happened. How would you explain the ending? So you've got the ending. You've got
1: everyone in one place at one time. You've got Eileen Riem. You've got Lee Tao, who's basically come after them and retrieved Eili. You've got the Emperor and his men, and you've got them all sort of standing in a circle. And of course, there's a challenge, right? Because there mm-hmm. has to be a challenge, because men who own swords... Well, Riam doesn't actually have one anymore. Um, but still. You know, but still. There's you one know. available to him. Yeah. they They have to fight each other, and... In the end, it comes down to an act of mercy, let's call it. And then there's this very strange conversation between Riam and the Emperor, which is kind of like, you're worthy. so Because he's beaten Li Tao. Because he's beaten Li Tao. Not because of anything else, him helping his daughter, him trusting her, him being you know, the person he is. But as a fighter, he's worthy, so why not? Be a fighter for the emperor, basically. And, you know, I've got this region that needs someone to look after it. La-di-da. Ha-ha. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. You can have my daughter.
0: (laughs) Do you think any of that, though, is... um, And I had a conversation with someone else about this. Do you think any of that is kind of cover, though? That, like, the father, who is also, again, the emperor, that Eili's father, who's the emperor, Mm -hmm. um, kind of needed... Maybe in some ways regretted some of his decisions. Was starting to have second thoughts because it did look like some of those decisions were going to cost him his his family. Oh
1: yeah, and sure. was starting
0: to was trying to figure out because it was the emperor who said, you know, because Riam says to Li Tao, "Let me fight you for this. Like let me, which you know." That way, the book is maybe not the most progressive, but he says, <laughs> "Let me sword fight you for her hand or whatever." You know, um, although we all know that Eilie uh, also probably could have absolutely held her own this battle, absolutely. Um, and and it's the emperor who signs off and says, "Yeah, go for it.
1: Yeah. Let him, you
0: know, sign, you know, battle it out." And uh, he doesn't have to do that. He it that up until that point had seemed entirely committed to, you know, marrying his daughter off for the sake of a political alliance and until he realized that it wasn't what she wanted. And so do you think there's a part of that that he's kind of using it as an excuse to say, all right, let's see what happens?
1: Maybe a part of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think he's still, he's still very much um, a, str- a strategist. Mm-hmm. Because there like there's not a part of this book except for the whole like taking on a second wife, which kind of just like doesn't happen for whatever reason at the end. like mm-hmm. there's thoughts of it or maybe it was just kind of mentioned and then never thought of again, who knows? Um, but you know, there's the battle between the strategist trying to keep hold of his his nation. And the father, who does actually love his daughter, and, Mm -hmm. you know, is proud of her for whatever reasons,
0: and... Well, we know the reasons, but it's unclear that he would know the reasons. Right.
1: (laughs) And, you know, wants to maintain some connection with her. So, you know, he... There's definitely some element of using the things that happened in the end to say oh so maybe I don't particularly need to marry my daughter off to Li Tao to have him on my side but I can still intimidate him a little bit
0: Hmm. yeah (laughs) so in the greater realm of kind of a romance story do you have a sense for kind of in the story, I guess, of Eileen um, Briam, do you feel like there are things that make this stand out for you or set it aside? I think one of the main things that, for me, makes this story unique, um, and I will say I, I like this book very, very much. I think one of the, the, the main thing ab- about it for me that makes me, I wouldn't say it's perfect, I think because of a lot of the, like, slightly loose ends that mm-hmm. you mention, um, I think some of that might just be creativity of of Jeannie Lynn sort of saying, like, hey, why not drop you in the middle of a universe and see how it goes? I also will say this is the only book in, you know, this universe that I've read, which again we can we can talk about that in a second, but um, about where this story is going and what else might be revealed. But I will say one of the things that I think is really interesting that she does in this book is kind of reflect each of their cultures and And for all of us, the way that we see each other's cultures through Mm -hmm. the other one's eyes. There are a lot of times throughout this book that both of them don't understand what the other one is doing, Mm -hmm. but they stick with the other person anyway, right? Right. The fact that they don't understand is not a, you know, deal breaker in either way. Right,
1: because what starts out as kind of a...
0: a a handshake
1: agreement turns into a connection really quickly and neither of them really understands why but they they go with it and they trust their guts and they they hope that what their guts say is not going to get either of
0: them killed. Yeah, and there's I think a mutual respect and a mutual trust. Mm -hmm. that even if they don't necessarily understand what the other one's doing they trust that there is a good reason behind it
1: right right and that that happens i mean like you said like they are they are the only people for a lot of the book and it's great to see how that evolves from like i'll fight you for it to Mm -hmm. to like this like need to like be aware of the other one's existence like even when everything has hit all the fans and people are being captured and some of them are making potential plans of suicide like they have this connection and they sort of know exactly what the other is doing Mm
0: -hmm. yeah absolutely (laughs) And uh, some of those loose ends, it's possible, might get tied up in the next book. Uh, because of all of the couples that I would have guessed uh, show up in book number two of the Tang Dynasty series, I would not have imagined it would be these two. No, no, I,
1: I read that and had to go back and read it again and then go to my book and my butterfly swords and verify that that was the character that was in butterfly swords. It wasn't another person with that name and then go back again and read the description and just scratch my head and think,
0: okay. So one of the supporting <coughs> characters that we didn't mention in butterfly swords is uh, the former emperor. So we mentioned that Eilidh's father has, it has not always been the emperor. The former emperor has a, consort named uh ling suyin um and she is renowned for her beauty she's apparently the ultimate seductress and um and riam come across her riam apparently has known her uh as far as we know not in the biblical sense uh (laughs) but just as a friendly person uh yeah exactly they're friends uh, hanging out, and so they stay with her for a while. She seems lovely. Um, mm-hmm. She's quietly living alone in the woods in this beautiful place, and they stay with her for a little while until um, unfortunately the, the you know band of Lee Tao's folks come after Li, and they have to leave, and so she's one of the supporting characters who we come across very bri- briefly and then sort of never hear from again until book number two. She's one of the people in the book who you come across, and you think, oh yeah, she's definitely going to get to be the heroine in one of the books in the dynasty. She's not the surprise. The surprise, I thought, Jess, was the hero. The hero. No one other than good old warlord Lee Tao. Lee Tao. Fiance slash warlord slash probable killer of Eile's fourth brother uh, is Although the hero. He, he does say that,
1: like if he had done it, he would have told her like, Oh, that's true. So that's a good point. So he didn't actually do it, but the fact that he had the potential to do it, he probably even thought about it. Like, yeah, he
0: doesn't, he doesn't come out of butterfly swords with a glowing reputation. Let's just say.
1: No. And like, I kind of really want to read the book now because Mm -hmm. I need to see how she makes him a character that I want to get a happily ever after. Like, I kind of... Like, by the end of Butterfly Swords, I kind of wouldn't mind if Li Tao, you know, dragged his sword, wandered back into his own territory and just stayed there forever, alone, surrounded by men who had the potential to want to kill him and take over his warlordship. Like... Yeah. I don't. I don't know. We've talked about people who deserve a happily ever after, and my conclusion was basically anyone who isn't evil. And maybe Jeannie Lin will convince me that there is a soul inside of Li Tao that that beats to the point where he is deserving of such a thing.
0: I have a feeling she will. <laughs> uh, I have a feeling um, that. You know, so I, I don't know. Uh, as Rachel, who we mentioned earlier, who was commenting on last week's post, pointed out, you know, there might be some sort of redemptive arc um, to come. And she mentioned, and this is the thing that I have talked about. I think it's it, she and I both think it's it's really interesting when an author can take someone who is sort of a supporting character, who's kind of a villain in one book and make them a hero in a next. I think that's just so much more interesting than having someone's friendly brother become the next hero. Um, although, as Jess knows, I have been uh, doing a little bit of research for a post about friendly, nice, happy, non-angsty, surly heroes because I'm a little burnt out on those folks. So I might have to take a little bit of a pause before I read Lee Tao's book because I have a feeling he's not going to just hop right into it being friendly and smiley and handing everyone a free cup of coffee. But I am interested to see to see how that unravels.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, I I do love those friendly guys, but I also basically walk, beat, live, whatever you want to say for those, like, really gruff, angry guys who, like, wall themselves off from feeling, but... Most of the time, it's, like, walling themselves off from people without the need to in invoke fear and inflict violence. Like, there's a difference between, like, the grumpy guy who just doesn't want to talk to you and the warlord. Well, sure. So, I want to see... I can make
0: that distinction. I just do
1: how this is gonna happen it's true although i mean if there was anyone who could really like bring him down to like a quarter of his size it would be her
0: it's true and we will just have to all stay tuned and see what happens yes but for now thank you all for reading along uh, we're excited to continue the conversation uh, on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. So stay tuned for that as well. Keep an eye out. Um, but yeah, we, that was, this was a great book. Many thanks to Jeannie Lynn for uh, putting together such a fun and interesting story with yes. such interesting characters
1: very interesting characters. I'm going to throw out there that I this isn't actually my first Juni Lin or my first Tang Dynasty book. My first Tang Dynasty book was actually My Fair Concubine, which is the third book in the series and probably has some connections to this book, but I couldn't make them then, so I don't remember what they might be. So now maybe I have huh. to read them in order now. Like, I don't reread a lot of books, but My Fair Concubine was pretty fun. I could reread it with the perspective of having read the others now.
0: I mean, it sort of seems like it's your responsibility to us all, Jess. It must be. Yeah. All right. Shall we uh, thank our sponsor for today? Yes. This podcast is supported in
1: most parts. By Promises and Primroses by Josie S. Kilpack. Peter Mayfield is a widower with two young daughters and needs a governess. A governess, Tricia.
0: A governess?
1: Oh, man, we love our governesses and nannies. Yes, yes, we do. Julia Hollingsworth has the credentials and the experience, but is far too young and pretty for such a job. Because young and pretty is, you know, not good if you're living with... Uh, an older man with children i don't know
0: um i don't know who's to say i have a feeling we'll be talking more about
1: this i have a feeling we will amelia who is julia's mother objects to julia's choice of employment because her heart was broken 30 years ago by peter's uncle elliot and amelia is determined to prevent any relationship from blooming either between peter and julia or between herself and elliot so like wait her mother's like obviously it's inevitable if you are a governess for a widower you're going to fall in love with him what is this
0: um but anyway i mean it might be a romance novel (laughs) (laughs) hearts and history
1: collide as both couples face their pasts and decide if risking it all is worth the promise of new love and a new future so this this is pretty cool because it's a dual love story. Um so you've got Peter and Julia, the whole like widower young daughter's governess thing, and you've got the second chance thing with with uh, mm-hmm. Amelia and Elliot. And this book is probably
0: fun um yeah we actually had somebody i can't remember now who but somebody on book riot slack recently was asking for the dual love story romance so we will have to figure it out and send them this recommendation
1: yes yes we will um so th- this is a book for fans of downton abbey and poldark Paul, Paul apparently um as And it is the first book in the Mayfield Family Series. So we get to experience more of those Mayfields. Nice.
0: I love the first book in a series. I do. It's so much less stressful than like book number three when you feel like you got to get caught up.
1: Yeah. But then you read the first book in a series and you're like, well, darn, I have to read the rest now. Which is okay. Oh no,
0: what a terrible problem to have. <laughs> Which
1: is great in an ongoing series where it's like, oh cool, I have like seven of these to read. But then yeah. it's like you read one and it's like, oh, this is a new series? I have to wait.
0: So, yeah, that long. <laughs> part's hard. That part's a challenge.
1: But that is not a reason to not read Promises and Primroses by Justice True, yeah, S. I Killpac. never no, never. You just you have a happy next read sometime in the near future, and it's like rejoining a family. Exactly. So you can um, check out Proper Romance Series on Facebook and Instagram, um, or Shadow Mountain Publishing on Facebook and Twitter. Um, those are the the parent companies that are publishing. Promises and Primroses by Josie S Kilpack. So thank you to them for sponsoring our show today. And yeah, also I do. Yeah, I have to
0: say one thing that you did not mention from the talking points. Uh, Peter is working in canine husbandry. I've read. So <laughs> I just need everybody to know that. And if nothing else about this amazing sounding book has stood out to you, that almost definitely does. So they're breeding dogs. Yeah. So let's just jump in on that.
1: Yeah, I uh, I, I saw that. And it's not that it, it didn't jump out at me, but I was kind of like, okay, so they can bond over dog breeding. Because Julia's father also bred dogs. Don't forget that part.
0: I mean, <laughs> I just feel like this book is going to be amazing. I'm very excited
1: it about is, it. It is. I'm looking forward to, to seeing the conversations about dog breeding.
0: And Promises and Promoses also, as you mentioned before we started recording, Jess, is a very natural transition into our other conversation today. Yes, yes it is. What what shall we talk about, Tricia? What shall we? So I mentioned to Jess that uh, I had happened partly through somehow me ending up reading all of these books about nannies and duchesses and Etc. cetera, uh, not duchesses, um, governesses, <laughs> yeah, not the same. That's I get very confused when I read British historical romances. Uh, <laughs> nannies and governesses that I had um, somehow, and even beyond those books, ended up reading, uh, and I actually don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of these are coming out right now. We can talk more about that. But I had ended up reading a lot of employer-employee romances recently. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really interesting dynamic because I think that can be a very challenging needle to thread in terms of how you make that power dynamic work between two people uh, and how you navigate the consensual nature of a relationship like that. Um, And I think pretty much everybody that I have seen do it and write it has done it um, successfully, and I think they've done it in a few interesting and different ways. Um, but I, like I said, I think it's not necessarily a coincidence that in the sort of um, Me Too era, and that in an era where so much of the conversation around uh, sex and consent is is focused on ensuring that everybody's on the same page, um, that. Romance authors are kind of taking up that challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't really surprised by that. I think you could assume that authors might shy away from it, but it doesn't really surprise me knowing what I know and what I know you know about um, authors in romance being feminist and being progressive, um, people being willing to kind of say, no, there actually is a, a way to write this kind of book. And there is a way, you know, I think there's... I think people can be inclined to sort of say, oh, no, well, you know, there's no way to write a story that's consensual between people that have a complicated power dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of authors have really risen to the challenge and said, no, you can write this. You can do this. There's a way to write interesting, consensual, fun sex scenes, even when the power dynamics are complicated. Um, And I I think it's kind of cool that we're seeing people starting to do that. Yeah, totally. And like
1: when you mentioned this topic, I had to think it's like there's a difference between people who work together like they they are under the same auspices and people where someone is in the other's employ. Like the one person has the money that the other person receives for their services and how that plays out and sometimes whether it plays out when that is their their actual situation. Um, I was thinking about a couple books that um, don't actually fall under this because it's someone who has worked for them before but doesn't anymore. The main one I was thinking about for this was um, a Gosh, now I forget, The Wall of Winnipeg and Me uh, by Mariana mm. Zapata, where the hero and heroine used to be a person who paid the other and a personal assistant. And yeah. then after she has quit her job, that's when he needs her to uh, help him stay in the country.
0: Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Which and I actually do think, yeah, we'll we'll have to consider maybe doing another conversation another time about different complicated power dynamics because there are other really interesting ways. And actually, maybe marriage of convenience is another thing for us to talk through another time. But um, but yeah, it's the the power dynamic of employee employer is a really unique one because I did the same thing. There were a couple of books that I considered, and you and I tossed around a couple of titles where we sort of said is this actually the working relationship? And I actually sent you a note today. I couldn't remember. Um, um, gosh, what is the a second? Uh, it's not... Wrong. Is it Wrong to Need You? The second book in the Alicia Wipe in the Heart series? Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't remember if in that book... Um, it's actually a working, technically working relationship or if it's just sort of a I'm going to help you out relationship because that it actually does make a difference. Yeah. So, for example, um, Night and Day uh, by Andy J. Christopher is a book that I just read last week. It, it just came out within the last week. It's a book that I really liked, but it's a, a book where an artist is hiring Well, he doesn't actually know that he's... His grandmother is on his behalf hiring a personal assistant for him. Uh, And he... Actually, the very first line in the very first scene in the book is him telling his new personal assistant to take her clothes off because he thinks she's there as a model. Um, And she is not. And so they get that straightened out. But he's... There's a a lot of mutual attraction there. um, And they both know kind of straight off the bat that any romantic relationship is problematic because he is, although he is very grumpy and surly, as I mentioned before, I've been reading a lot of those books, Um, he's he's a good guy and Mm -hmm. he knows that he can't take advantage in that way. And she really needs the job because she, unfortunately, was involved with somebody else in that community who burned a lot of bridges for her, like just a really garbage dude who sucked. Um, And so, you know, she kind of says to him, like, I because they both kind of, they do at one point acknowledge the attraction and they sort of say, like, we both are here, but we can't do anything. She says, I need this job. I can't do this. And he says, okay. But they also, one of the interesting things that, Andy J. Christopher does, is she puts a time limit on the relationship. Mm-hmm. She is only working for him for two weeks. Yeah. So she does that, and she also introduces a lot of honesty, which is another author who did, has done that in a book that I read recently, or I'm reading actually right now, is uh, Rebecca Weatherspoon in Rafe. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned Rafe before it came out. It's a book about a nanny, a male nanny named Rafe. That's the name of the book. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that I thought she did that was really interesting is that in the second chapter of the book, Rafe says to the woman, I don't know if I can work for you because I am, I've am i never been this attracted to somebody that I was working for. So I'm not sure that I can start this relationship. Like I don't, I don't know this working relationship. Mm-hmm. And they have to have a conversation and talk it out. And that kind of honesty was sort of surprising and almost not jarring, but kind of a little bit surprising it made me wonder a little bit if you could if people could have that conversation in real life
1: yeah yeah I don't know that's an interesting thing to think about I um, also recently read um, a book that I think I inspired you to one click but I don't know if you've read it yet uh, and that's Liz Lincoln's on the line
0: and that one one clicked it and read it
1: well that one has a, a slightly different dynamic because the two people meet before she's working for him they meet there's an instant attraction there is flirty texting there's lots of really fun stuff and then and she needs a job and her brother's friend needs a nanny and she walks up that first day and it's like oh no I really need this job but I really like you, but I really mm-hmm. need this job. And also I'm like the perfect person for your daughter. So I guess I'm doing this job and I guess we're not going to continue the texting and the flirting. And they're actually really good at that whole, like, this is not what's happening. We are going to live together as a dynamic unit of father daughter extra and uh, I'm not going to make this uncomfortable for you because my daughter loves you as a nanny. Mm -hmm. So there's that, like that whole situation I was fascinated by. It's like, Oh, so this isn't going to be one of those things where they just do it all in secret. I mean, there's things that happen But it's like they are consciously working to make this not that.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that's a good example. And um, it seems like Rafe is headed in that direction and Untouchable, by Talia Hibbert is another book where it's a nanny employer situation. Like I said, somehow I fell into this rabbit hole of all of these nanny books (laughs) uh, where there is a very honest conversation and also a sort of, slow progression despite that acknowledgement of moving into the relationship in spite of that. And then, again, it's kind of a, every author that we've mentioned so far has pulled it off and done it in a way that sometimes they hit some bumpy moments. Mm -hmm. uh, But it has always, it has generally, obviously it works out, there's a happily ever after. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, people, everybody's, consistently ensuring that everybody else is on the same page. There's a lot of consent. There's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of honesty. I mentioned, and a note I sent to you earlier, a couple of books wherein um, one person or the other doesn't actually know about the employer-employee relationship. So one example of that is Love on My Mind by mm-hmm. Tracy Lucey, mm-hmm. wherein the heroine in that book um, is uh, – so the hero is a brilliant billionaire computer genius, like – a way more handsome version of like Elon Musk or somebody, I don't even know, Uh, you know, like whoever, um, Bill Gates, whatever. And he's, but he also, um, you know, he's, he struggles with uh, a variety of, you know, social issues and um, he's a great guy, but he's, he's not, he does not do very well when he has to do the big, you know, Steve Jobs style reveal. So the heroine um, has been hired to help him navigate those situations, but with the knowledge that he absolutely will not accept the help. So she's got to figure out how to help him without acknowledging that her role is to help him. Mm -hmm. And so she starts down that path, but without necessarily any romantic intention, but it takes that turn without him, again, knowing that his company is employing her Mm -hmm. and she gets increasingly uncomfortable with it, but also is trying to balance the thing of, if she tells him he's going to lose all the progress that they've made and all of the momentum and which thing actually hurts him more. And there's some really interesting, um, kind of dynamics at play and some questions there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and I guess this is like a very minor spoiler for anybody besides Janie, the heroine in the book. Um, (laughs) unless you're Janie, the heroine in the book, uh, in Neanderthal seeks human, which is a book I think we've talked about by Penny Reed. Um, Janie, the heroine in that book, Uh, starts working for, she doesn't know it, but Quinn, um, who connects her with a job at this really big deal company. She thinks he's like the head of security at the company. Um, But in actuality, as most of us have found context clues to put together, he actually owns the company. It's his company. (laughs) He's like this big deal security guy. Um, And she doesn't quite realize it until, I don't know, a third of the halfway through the book. And when she does, she's actually kind of mad. And he's like, I literally told you this was my company. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. Um, and in that sense, it's kind of played for laughs. And um, it, it's a little bit of a different vibe. But it is a little bit of a different dynamic when, and both of those books came out three or four years ago. So it was kind of a different era. So I don't know. It's a. It works again, I think, in both cases. But It is sort of a different... Like I said, I think we're at a a really interesting moment for some of these conversations.
1: Yeah. And you know what is a completely, completely different dynamic from either of those kinds of dynamic? What is that, Jess? It is the dynamic where the employee is the one in control. Ah. And this, this is particularly the case in... His khaki Valet by Cole McCade, which we, I think we might've discussed before briefly. Um,
0: I can't remember. It, like, I, I think we discussed it before we came, before it came out. I don't know that we've discussed it since, since then. It,
1: so in this story, you've got a young man who his father is ill and he's, he's, basically got to take over the company and his buddy tells him to hire what he thinks is going to be a personal assistant but it's really kind of like a valet and he's like a traditional kind of person who believes in the rights of valets to control your life basically and he's also basically a sexual dominant like there there's no actual conversation about like submissive and dominant in in the book but there those dynamics are at play so you've got the wealthy person who has hired this valet and the valet who basically can not controls his life but runs his life for him he gets him out of bed he tells him that he's going to learn all of these things he's going to do all of these things and he also uses what he can to encourage him to be better at life really so like their dynamic is uh, there's one scene even where it's like why do i pay you and he's like If you stopped, I'd probably still be here. So uh, there's like their dynamic is completely different because they both understand that while one is employee and one is employer, like the money isn't eventually isn't really involved. It's more about what each of them needs and what each of them can give the other. And I'm not sure if I described that very well, but there's a lot happening in that book.
0: Yeah, like you said, I think what you started by saying is that the power dynamic there is very different from anything else we've described. And I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of really interesting ways to kind of explore that power dynamic. And, you know, as we said from the beginning, I think it's not a surprise that people are, especially in the kind of – we always say that romance authors are – progressive as writers in many ways, just even in terms of exploring new and different themes. And I think this is maybe an interesting example of that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So uh, we will make sure that the list of all of those books, I think we would recommend all of those, right? I think we would. Yeah. So you're welcome. You uh, finished up Butterfly Swords. We would recommend all of those books. Uh, We'll make sure that they're all linked in our full show notes. Um, And... We have a couple of other quick – oh, actually, you can also read Intercepted because that is our new book club book. It is. Um, So what do you think, Jess? We'll do a couple of quick teaser comments maybe in a couple of weeks and then full discussion a couple of weeks after that. That sounds like a plan to me. So if you are interested in – Um, oh man I never open the calendar on my computer I don't even know why I just clicked on that it doesn't (laughs) even know how to open if you are interested in uh, sharing a couple of comments or thoughts on Intercepted by Alexa Martin maybe you've heard of it (laughs) somewhere along the line um, feel free to send us a note or uh, tweet or Instagram or whatever us um, between now and October 18th we will have our full conversation about it when we record on November 9th those episodes will actually drop into your podcast feed on October 22nd November 5th. Um, But we're excited about that. So feel free to start reading that or one of the billions of books that we just mentioned to you. Um, The other announcement that we wanted to tell you is that James Patterson is giving money to booksellers and you get to tell him which booksellers to give money to. Yeah. So, like, that's pretty rad.
1: That's pretty cool. And you can nominate your local bookstore especially if they happen to be romance sellers, because the indie bookseller that sells romance is rare, and we love them.
0: Yeah, I actually have a um, sort of personal commitment that anytime I walk into an indie bookstore that sells romance, I buy a romance novel from them, and just to sort of reward good behavior. But if your local one doesn't, we've talked a ton about the Rift Bodice. Feel free to nominate them because this is the thing. So we'll link the into the show notes. But until October twelfth, so this episode drops October eighth. So you got to hop online, find this link in the show notes, um, and go nominate them. It's they are uh, doing bonuses. It's this. They're, doing, it's for, they're giving out $250,000 worth of bonuses in the amounts of $750 to $1,500 to individual booksellers. Um, so you have a few more days still, and they're asking you why the bookseller deserves a holiday bonus. You guys know why. Go ahead and, like, nominate your bookstores. I don't think it's going to take you that long. It's a relatively easy thing. I think that's awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, obviously, you can donate – to wherever you like, but as just said, if you wanted to donate to a romance bookseller near you, then maybe more bookstores will start carrying romance books. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you didn't know, you can actually buy online from the Ripped Bodice. So the Ripped Bodice could actually be your local romance bookseller if you wanted it to be.
1: I know, and you know what's a really great thing about the Ripped Bodice. You can buy online books that have been signed. I love buying books. Like, if you follow their events, you can see that they have events where authors are doing releases and they're signing books. Well, sometimes, actually, usually, ThriftBotis will keep some of the books that they've signed, and you can buy them online. So I, in Arizona, do have a copy a hard copy of Hamilton's Battalion, signed by all three authors, and it is a precious prized
0: possession. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I actually bought some books from them. I bought online from them a couple of times, um, I, especially on their second anniversary. They threw in a bonus used book, and so now I have even more books from them. So awesome. that's a great option. I probably will nominate uh, – if I can nominate more than one book. Or no, bookstore, I'll nominate them. If I can only do one, I will probably – Nominate my local bookstore, which actually uh, Politics and Prose on the Wharf does sell romance. So I will nominate them specifically for that reason. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right. So last thing, I think... I believe yeah, I'm looking so. Look through our agenda. Uh, it's Riot Graham season, <laughs> yay! So um, we are we are very smoothly transitioning into all the things. As I put in our show notes about how <laughs> smooth we are, multiple times. Uh, if you are listening to this on October eighth, it is Freebie Day. You can Riot gram whatever you want. So Riot Grams is our Instagram um, mostly, but if you want to do it on other social media, that's fine too. Challenge wherein um, there's a different prompt every day. You snap a picture, hashtag it Riot Grams. If it's a romance, also hashtag it when in romance um, so today's a freebie ha- you know take a picture of whatever you like uh, october 9th is native and indigenous books october 10th is mental health books um, october 11th oh i love this one is favorite female characters everybody i know you have a favorite female character mm-hmm. especially from a romance novel
1: Absolutely. take a picture
0: stick it online hashtag it when in romance and riot grams uh october 12th classics you love i mean jess what's your favorite classic romance novel
1: uh Pride and Prejudice probably.
0: I love that. Hashtag it, when in romance, put it online. And October 13th is favorite book cover, which, again, I'm sure you can find yourself a favorite romance book cover. Stick it online. Um, we are excited about it. So you can find our Riot Grams to the extent that we remember to stay on top of it. Uh, we already mentioned this at the top of the show, but just so that you don't miss our Riot or our conversation about Butterfly Swords, I am at Trisha Haley Brown on Instagram. And I am Jess underscore is underscore reading on Instagram. And uh, since we already mentioned Twitter, I don't know, whatever, let's do it again. I am at, oh, now I forgot, Trisha underscore reading, or reads, (laughs) at Trisha underscore reads. Whatever I said at the beginning of the show, I'm sure it's still true. We're
1: becoming a symbiote of each other. I know, Um, I forgot. (laughs) And I am at Jess is reading all one word because I I got got it in time
0: exactly or feel free to send us an email let us know what you're reading let us know what you're excited about let us know what bookstore you nominated for the James Patterson money or what you thought about Butterfly Sores or what your favorite employee-employer romance is I don't know just let us know what you're up to
1: and about Riot Grams. you can totally do backlog if you missed the first six, seven days just like post them
0: all seven at once exactly that's the best thing about Riot Grams. (laughs) there's no real rules do whatever you want yeah totally All right. Well, thank you all for reading along and playing along and listening along. Uh, I think that's it for this week, right, Jess? I think that
1: is. Happy reading, everybody. And we look forward to talking about Intercepted with you.
0: Yes, we do. Happy reading. Happy reading.